Happy New Year, everyone. I should, I should maybe even say, may the grace of God be apparent to you all and to myself and online. May you know the grace of God this yeah. year. May you recognize God moving by His gracious power this year in Jesus' name. Please take a seat. Thanks, team. Well, for those in the room and those online today, the message is called The Grace Concept and the Impossible Reality. About a year ago, I started a three-part series. <laughs> it was actually on 31st of January. Uh, it was called The God's Concept and the Defeat of Words. And then I followed that up in May with the second of the two parts, sin con uh, three parts, Sin Concept and the Sliding Scale of Separation. And we blew that myth. And today I'm finishing off my three-part series. Now, I don't expect you to remember everything that uh, I spoke on those occasions. We're just going to dig into the grace of God today, the impossible reality. So, Father, help us today to understand more about this impossible reality of your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, I want to start off with a story. So, kids, if you're listening... I think maybe there's going to be some pictures on the screen, but if there isn't, listen to the beautiful sound of my storytelling voice. In Luke 15, there's a story that Jesus told. The story goes like this. There was once a father. He had two sons. One day, the younger son said to the father, Father, could you give me my inheritance? Who knows what inheritance is? You have to be under 10 to tell me. It's a big word, isn't it? It means inheritance is the money that the father would have given to his children after he died. So the son was asking quite a big... He was, in a way, he was saying, Dad, I wish you were not around anymore. Well, the father thought about it and he decided that his son could have the money and he split it evenly between the sons. Very soon after the younger son received the money, he decided that he had had so much money... He was going to move to a different country and have some fun. When he left, he left for good. He took every last thing with him and he didn't plan on returning. He wanted to be grown up and spend all his money how he wanted to and not have anyone tell him what to do. I must admit, on occasion, I have felt like that myself. Just didn't have the money. So he just left. He left a big farm, lots of hired hands with everything he needed. He left his family and more importantly, he left his father who trusted him enough to give him the money in the first place. This probably would have made his father really sad and I'm sure he missed him very much. Well, the young son spent all the money he had almost right away. He didn't think to save any of it. He ate out every meal every day. He brought fancy clothes. He threw wild parties. He spent money on lots of other things that God would not be happy with. After he spent all his money, the country that he was living in became very poor. And they hardly had enough food for everyone living there. It was even worse for people who had no money because food became even more expensive. So it was very hard for poor people to get any food. Oh, well, the son was in trouble. He had no money, no place to live. He had nothing to eat. 
So he had to get a job. And the only job he could find was feeding pigs. Okay, everyone, give me your best pig impersonation. Go. Oh, I think you can do better than that, folks. Ready? One, two, three, go. Oh, good. There's a few and a few oinks. Good. Thank you. There's, there's one. That's the one that got away. Well, he was so hungry, he tried to eat the food that the pigs were eating, but his boss caught him and told him that if he ever saw him doing that again, he would lose his job. That night, as the son left the pig farm, his stomach wouldn't stop growling. He was so hungry. He saw some people coming towards him and he asked them if they could give him some money for food, but no one would give him anything. Everyone was so poor. And when you're poor, it's hard to share with anyone. So the son went to sleep hungry and he woke up hungry. And when he woke up, he began to realize something. He thought, when I lived with my father... Even the hired farmhands had more food than they needed. And now look at me. I'm starving to death. At that moment, he made a plan. He would go back to his father's house and say to him, I've sinned against God and I've sinned against you and I don't deserve to be called your son. So please hire me and I will work for you on the farm. He knew if he became a hired farmhand on his father's farm, He would still be better off than where he was right now. He'd always have a warm place to stay and food to eat. So he headed for home. It took the son a long time to get home. All the time he was just hoping that his dad would let him work on the farm as a hired farmhand. It seemed like he'd been walking forever. When the day finally came and he walked over that final hill and he looked out, And he could see his father's farm in the distance. Not long to go now, he thought to himself. While he was still a long way off, he could see someone coming along the road in his direction. And when they got nearer, he began to see that they they were running. He was sure they must have been expecting someone else because no one would be excited to see him. No one even knew he was coming. As they got closer and closer, he, he realized it was, it was his father. And he was yelling, my son, my son, you're here. You're finally home. <laughs> well, the son couldn't believe it. His father threw his arms around him and hugged him and kissed him. But the son quickly said, father, I've sinned against God and I've sinned against you. I don't deserve to be called your son. And the son wanted to continue. But the father said to one of the servants who were following, quick. Bring me the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the biggest calf and kill it. Let's have a party and celebrate because my son. Oh, and then he stopped and he hugged and kissed his son again. I'd given him up for dead, but he's alive. My son was lost and now he's found. And together they made their way back to the farmhouse. A little while later, the oldest son, who was working in the field, heard music and dancing. So he called one of the house servants and asked, What's going on? Your brother has come home and your father is having a party to celebrate his return. Well, 
This upset the older brother and he refused to go in and join the party. He refused to celebrate. He refused to even greet his brother. The father heard that he was upset so he went to talk with him and invited him to join in the festivities. But the other son refused saying, Look, I've been working for you all these years and I've never disobeyed you. Yet you... Never had a big party for me to celebrate with my friends. And now my younger brother's come home. He spent all the money you gave him and all the inheritance. And you've killed the biggest car for him and celebrate with music and dancing. But, my son, the father said, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was lost and now he's found. I thought he was dead, but he's alive. Well, that's a story all about grace. Grace has got lots of uses in our 21st century conversation we we can talk about having gratitude which is a word that comes from grace we can talk about uh, congratulations which is a word that comes from grace and they're all things about we're wanting to bless people or or show our our thanks to those people And the Bible goes on and talks about grace as well. And it has lots of different uses for grace as well. The the Greek word for grace is charis. And most often it refers to thankfulness for blessings received. This morning we've uh, joined in the communion. And Augustine said that communion is like a visible sign of invisible grace when we hold those emblems which represent Jesus body and his blood it's a sign of his grace and we hold those things and they they communicate to us a message of grace see Jesus didn't have to die for us he wanted to so that we could become his Brothers and sisters, children of God. Visible signs of invisible grace. The Apostle Paul talked about a new way of looking at grace in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4 and reading through to about verse 9. I'll read it to you. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins... He gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you've been saved. Does that sound a little bit like the story that Jesus told? Reading on, verse 6. He raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all the future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. 
God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Verse 9. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. So none of us can boast about it. The Bible Encyclopedia sets out a definition of grace. It says, grace is an attitude on God's part that proceeds from within himself and that is conditioned in no way by anything in the objects of his favour. New York Times opinion column just before Christmas in 2018 was headed The Uncommon Power of Grace. And the article opened with an illustration from the life of C.S. Lewis. It described a conference of comparative religions where experts from all around the world were gathered to discuss Christianity and was there anything unique in the Christian faith that made Christianity stand out from the rest. C.S. Lewis just happened to enter the room during that discussion when he was told what the topic was. Christianity's unique contribution among the world religions, C.S. Lewis responded, Oh, that's easy. It's grace. So I want to tell you a little... Where's my... Oh, here we go. This is my grandson's cart. It's full of blocks, okay? Now, I want to talk to you about the grace equation. The grace equation. And we all grow up with this. We all think it, it works pretty well for humans, the grace equation. So let's say um, you get asked to tidy your room. So you tidy your room. Feeling pretty good about myself. Um, and then I might be asked to take out the rubbish. You take the rubbish out. Okay, I'll take the rubbish out. Very good. And then I might be asked to um, stack the dishwasher. And I stacked the dishwasher last night, but okay, I'll stack the dishwasher. So what I'm doing is I'm doing all these really good things and helping out. And each time I do it, I'm building a little bit more of my good works tower, things I've done that have been really good. So I keep going, doing all the really good things I've I buy a lovely present for my wife for our wedding anniversary yesterday. 39 years. Yeah. Look at that. I get a clap from the people in the audience. So my tower is looking pretty good. I'm building it up. Now I'm talking about the grace equation. What the grace, equa grace equation says is, doesn't matter. All of those things don't matter. We can't earn our salvation by doing good stuff. And the story of the prodigal son tells us we can't be any further away from God by doing the wrong stuff, the stuff that God doesn't want us to do. But in our society, we expect this. We expect that if we do more... We should get more. I mean, that's the way our whole society works. I, at my school, sometimes I have kids come up to me and say, Mr. Koopman, can I do music as a skill for the Duke of Edinburgh Award? 
And I say, yeah, sure, what are you going to do? And they say, I'm going to learn to play the saxophone. Oh, it's pretty hard. Oh, I'm going to do it. I have to do so many hours a week. Okay, and they've got a logbook and they write in the logbook all the hours on the saxophone that they spend. And at the end, I sign off. They play a tune for me, I sign off. And they get their Duke of Edinburgh Award after they've done the same kind of thing with all the other areas of skill and service. So it's accumulating. Things are accumulating. That's our experience on earth. But God says it doesn't matter. Now, another thing that we do sometimes is we follow the hierarchy principle. Now, the hierarchy principle says I study hard and I get uh, qualifications. So I do, do a test at school. I get a good mark on my test. I'm better than those other people that didn't get that mark on the test. And then we might leave school and we go to TAFE and we're going to get a job uh, from studying at TAFE. So we do really good at TAFE. And on the way through TAFE, a lot of people drop out. They don't keep going. They drop out. So all those poor old dropouts. But we're going pretty good. This is the hierarchy principle. I've stepped up higher. And then I get a great apprenticeship when I leave TAFE. And all my... It's pretty thin air up here, folks. All my friends that dropped out, what are they doing? Huh, poor old friends. But I'm doing pretty good. I think I'm better than all those other people. There's all this comparison going on. I'm better because I did my exam. I'm better because I got a better mark. I'm better because I got an apprenticeship. I'm better because of my car. I'm better because of my house. Look at my lovely children. Jesus says doesn't matter. The hierarchy principle, scrap it. The equation where I add things up to my account doesn't matter. The grace equation and the hierarchy principle doesn't matter. When Jesus came, the Gospel of John, he writes down this verse in the first chapter, verse 17 of John chapter 1, he says, The law was given through Moses, and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law giver, Moses, versus the grace giver, Jesus. Now, we've all been subject to COVID recently. There's lots of regulations, there's lots of rules, there's lots of things we're trying to follow. I found myself being like a law keeper. Like, what do we have to do? We have to wear masks here? We don't have to wear masks. Uh, okay, so we have to stand. We, can't be, we can have masks inside, but we can't have masks outside. Is that right? Um, I've been making sure that I've been following the rules. And I tend to look down at other people that don't follow the rules. Why aren't they wearing a mask? Why, don't they know we're supposed to wear masks in here? And it's also... The rules and stuff are open to lots of interpretation. But I'm glad that I did what I had to do. I fulfilled my obligation. And now that I've done that, I can feel pretty good about myself. But Jesus, the grace giver, 
has told us that grace removes excuses. Grace removes comparisons. There is actually no do. You know that great quote from Yoda in Star Wars? There is no try. There is only do. Well, there is no do. You can't do anything to earn God's favor. It's a gift. Keeping the law doesn't count. It's a gift. Trying to add up all the good things with the blocks doesn't count. It's a gift. The hierarchy principle doesn't count. Grace is a gift. I want to read a little book, bit from this fantastic book by Philip Yancey called What's So Amazing About Grace? And then I'm going to get my friend Phil and I'll get my friend Tim to clear the stage. Phil's going to come up. We're going to sing a song which is a great song of the church written by a man called John Newton. And you can join in with us. But I'll ask you to stay seated as we sing it. Because we're going to try and set up as if it was like a, a, around the campfire. Okay? So you can get that, use your imagination and get that happening. Well, this is what he says. The hymn writer, John Newton, was a coarse, cruel slave trader. He first called out to God in the midst of a storm that nearly threw him overboard. Newton came to see the light. Keep coming, guys. Come up and clear up and get ready. That'll, that'll be uh, good. Newton began to see the light um, when he first called out to God in the midst of a storm that nearly threw him overboard. And the light began to dawn gradually, continuing as he continued to ply his trade even after his conversion. So he still was a slave trader even after he was converted and became a Christian. He actually wrote the song, How Sweet the Name of Jesus Sounds. Some of us will know that song. While waiting in an African harbor for a shipment of slaves. Later though, he renounced his profession, became a minister and joined a man called William Wilberforce in the fight against slavery. John Newton never lost sight of the depths from which he had been lifted. A little bit like the prodigal son in the story that we began with. He never lost sight of grace. And when he wrote that saved a wretch like me, he really meant those words with all his heart. And I pray today as we sing together this great hymn of the church, which talks about God's grace, I pray that you will also mean these words with all your heart. So come with me round the campfire.